Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, good morning. It is uh, such an honor to, to be here. Uh, with all of you today, and uh, you know, I found myself to be a little emotional already this morning. We can pray that I don't cry. I am in the Enneagram 8, so I hate crying in front of people, but as a counselor, you can see how that's a little conflictual, right? I'm a big proponent for healthy emotional expression and acknowledging what we feel, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a special day, but it's also just a huge honor to be able to open God's Word and just share with you what I feel like uh, all of us need to be reminded of, right? You'll also have to excuse, I've had like some sinus stuff going on all week, of course, this week, right? Like, of course. Um, So if I make like, if also if you're uh, bothered by like lots of like, uh, uh, that type of stuff, I might be doing that because I just have to keep clearing my throat. I have water, so if mouth noises bother you, I'm going to, they bother me, so I'm going to be really mindful and try not to gulp because that grosses me out, so if I can hear it echoing as I'm doing it, we have a problem. So, all that to be said, happy Mother's Day. Um, As Dustin already said, I know Mother's Day can be really complex for a lot of us, you know, not just women, um, but also really complicated for men as well, and for a multitude of reasons, right? And so, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to be reminded that God sees you exactly where you are. He accepts you exactly where you are at the table with him. And there are lots of things that he has spoken over you that I hope and pray that you will be reminded of that those things are the things that matter regardless of what we are walking through or have walked through or will walk through in life. Amen? All right, so we are going to talk about a woman today uh, who is not a Proverbs 31 woman, and I'm excited about that because I feel like most of us aren't really a Proverbs 31 woman. We're striving for that, right? But um, we're all people who are broken in our mess, and we're all trying to figure out where does Jesus fit into our mess? Where does he meet us? And I feel like the woman we're going to look at today... um, maybe helps us see a little bit clearer the way that Jesus sees us, right? So let's talk a little bit about, in biblical times, what were women valued for, right? Um, They were really valued for like what I would think three main things would be. Their marital status, their ability to birth children, and the number of children they had, but specifically male children, so that they were male heirs, and how well they manage their home. Some of us may still feel that tension in our modern day time, right? That those are the only ways that we really measure up and and, and our worth are valued as women. Um, But there may be other ways that we're tempted to believe that we have worth and value in our personhood and in our womanhood, right? So maybe you're tempted to believe your body measurements make up your value or your worth as a woman. 
or a number on a scale, your marital status, whether your marriage is a success or unsuccess, um, the ability to have children, the ability to make sure that your children don't have meltdowns in front of other people, um, <laughs> your ability to work outside of the home or your ability to, to work in the home. I heard some mm on that one. Your ability to complete the endless to-do list. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. Yes, everybody, all the women specifically felt that because our brain never shuts off. Um, we all have experienced different things that shape our understanding of what we believe makes up the worth and value of women, right? So taking that, that idea that our experiences shape the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view other people. Um, we're going to look at this woman from John 8. Okay, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to John 8. If you need a copy of the Bible today, please raise your hand, and a Connect partner would be happy to provide you with a copy that you can even take home today with you. So let's look at John 8. Verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. They heard this, oh, excuse me. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. So there's a lot happening in this passage, right? Um, and I want to give just a very brief context, uh, because as it started out, you know, in verse 1 it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So because it starts with but, we need to go back just a little bit to understand what is happening here. So we're going to look at John 7, verses 45 through 52 to understand what is happening here. So in those verses, it says, Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him? Speaking of Jesus. The servants answered, No one ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, Are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accused. 
Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Then each one went to his house. So some of you may be saying, what is happening right now? What does this have to do with the the adulterous woman and the temple and the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Well, this gives us the context that it, it, it shows these religious leaders and these Pharisees have been trying and trying to trap Jesus to have a reason to accuse him because he was stirring things up, right? He was teaching things that the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees uh, were very uncomfortable with, which Jesus does, right? He shakes things up. Um, so this gives you some context, and, and if you remember... When we were reading the first set of verses, it says very clearly, the whole reason they brought this adulterous woman in the middle of the teaching. So picture it, okay? The Pharisees and the religious leaders are bringing this adulterous woman that they've caught into a place that Jesus is already teaching. So they're interrupting the teaching, and they're bringing this woman front and center and interrupting Jesus to say, we've caught this adulterous woman. The, the old law says women like this would be stoned to death. So what do you say, Jesus? And it said very clearly, they asked this, they did all of this as a trap to trap Jesus. And I want us to pause here and consider these religious leaders and these Pharisees had no regard for this woman whatsoever. They were okay with her being brought in and interrupting the whole teaching, right? She was only worth the goal of their plotting to trick Jesus. Have you ever been exploited? That's what was happening to her. So she's surrounded by her accusers, and she's surrounded by completely innocent bystanders who are just trying to listen to Jesus preach. And there she is. And I just want to say, some of us may be tempted to say, well, she shouldn't have been doing that, so it serves her right. That feels really gross, because she just happened to be found out in her sin. How many of us just haven't, we haven't been found out in our sin? You know what I'm saying? So, so there's that. So also, we need, to, we need to consider that the Jewish law was not just that the woman who was caught in adultery would be executed. It was that the man who was involved in the adulterous relationship would also be executed. So if this is the Jewish law, and these are the religious leaders that say that they are all about upholding the Jewish law, but they've only brought the religious, I mean, they've only brought the woman, we have a problem, right? It's not really about upholding the law, right? There is a, um, there's a man named Colin Cruz who writes about this. So Pharisees and teachers of the law did seek to trap Jesus with questions. They knew he showed compassion towards sinners and hoped his compassion might lead him 
to make a statement contrary to the law. There would be dangers also, though, if he supported the law because he would be advocating capital punishment, which was for the most part forbidden to the Jews by the Romans. So here's the trap. And, you know, I got to just say, I'm sure the religious leaders and the Pharisees thought they were super clever at this point. Like, we've trapped Jesus. Because if we say, like, you got to follow the Jewish law, right? Because they're asking, like, is Jesus going to follow the Jewish law? Or is Jesus going to follow the modern day law? Because either way, he's about to make a statement that then we can hold it against him and accuse him, right? But Jesus sees this woman. And he doesn't just physically see her. In counseling and in relationships, there's this word that we use called attunement. And if you're not familiar with it, it's essentially bonding with someone emotionally and relationally, and it's seeing them beyond just what you see on the outside. So, for instance, you know, I, I saw a friend yesterday, and I could tell she was very, very distraught. That is attunement. I'm paying attention to what she is experiencing. And sure enough, she had had a crisis happen in her life. So there's a, there's a brain uh, surgeon, or not a surgeon, there's a brain, um, wow, I'm losing words. He's like a neuroscientist. That's what it would be. His name is Dr. Dan Siegel. And this is how he explains attunement. When we attune with others, we allow our internal state to shift to come to resonate with the inner world of another. This resonance is at the heart of the important sense of feeling felt. Now, all of you that are in close relationships, whether it's with people or your spouse, your family, there are moments where you can definitely identify, I don't really feel like you're getting me right now, right? That's that feeling of feeling felt. I believe in this moment, Jesus saw her that type of way. Another example of attunement might look like an adult seeing a baby crying, recognizing that the baby is hungry, and then picking up the baby to feed it. And in an adult relationship, attunement might be um, an adult who knows that the words, I'm fine, don't actually mean I'm fine. And that person may dig a little deeper to see what's going on. And, and we all need this type of attunement in our relationships here on earth. But we need that type of attunement from our Heavenly Father as well. And some of you might say, well, why? Why does that matter? What does it matter if I'm seen or if I don't feel seen? Like, that sounds a little, like, fluffy, you know? And I I will give you that. Like, if you're a critic in the room, that's fine. You can be there right now. You're still welcome at my table. But I'm going to try to explain to you why it does matter. Because if we don't feel close, if we don't feel connected or cared for by others, there's no way we can trust people. There's no way we can trust those who care for us or they say they care for us. We won't feel safe with them. We won't be able to receive their love because we don't believe their love. 
So think about how many times has somebody told you, I love you, but you didn't believe it and you didn't feel like it was true. So you just question like, no, you don't. You didn't feel felt. So it does matter. So, so here's the thing. When Jesus sees those of us who are saints, and when I say saints, I mean those of us who know Jesus, right? We have given him our lives. We are called saints now, okay? When he sees those of us who are saints, he sees a brother or a sister and a fellow heir in the kingdom of God, and he's able to know us and know what we're going through. Now, when Jesus sees those of us who are ain'ts, those are people who have not yet chosen to surrender their life to Jesus. So when he sees those of us who are ain'ts, he sees a beloved image bearer of God in need of salvation through repentance, desiring that no one should perish. This is a very different outlook on this woman. So Jesus sees her. All right, let's move on. When we look at verses 6 through 9, Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. Jesus restored this woman's dignity. He restored her dignity and her humanity and her value and her worth. And dignity sounds like a good word, but just for the sake of clarifying it, what is it? It's the state or quality of being worthy of honor and respect. Because every single person, whether you are a saint or an ain't, or you've been a saint and you feel like you're an ain't now and you want to become a saint again, whatever. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm just saying sometimes we behave like saints, sometimes we behave like ain'ts. Wherever you fall, you are made in the image of God, and that alone says that you have worth and value and dignity because he said so. It doesn't matter what we feel like. It doesn't matter what other people have said to us. Those things definitely impact us, right? That's what I said at the beginning. But it's a matter of whose voice are we listening to? So Jesus is reminding us by his actions that this woman was due honor and respect just like every human being regardless of her sin. Regardless of the fact that she was having an adulterous relationship with someone. She's still worthy of honor and respect. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing this story, and what was always taught was Jesus drew a line in the sand, right? I couldn't find anything that actually says that. It just says Jesus wrote in the sand. So I don't know what he wrote, but it is pretty clear that when somebody comes towards you with accusations and they're probably pretty intensely angry, and you just stoop down to the ground to like write something in the sand, that's a pretty big like, I surrender. I am not engaging in this type of conversation right now. Which, by the way, how many of us need to do that in this day and time? <laughs> right? Every day. Somebody said it. Every day. <laughs> yes. Because Jesus also knows these people already have their mind made up. 
It doesn't really matter what I say at this point. But if you, and again, if we go back to the Jewish tradition, the Jewish law, it's interesting that Jesus says, you who have not sinned, you throw the first stone. Because in Jewish law, whoever caught the adulterous couple, they would be the first ones to throw the stone at the execution. The irony here is that the only one of them without sin is Jesus. Which you have to think, like, at this point, the Pharisees are realizing this, like, well, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not without sin. I'm not without sin. So they slowly start to leave, right? But again, going back, why is it important for us to realize that we have dignity and honor? Because most of us, I think, can acknowledge, yeah, I have dignity and honor. I'm made in the image of God. You can say that out loud, but how many of us actually believe it? Because stating something doesn't mean that you walk in that truth, right? I'm going to give you an example. In our home right now, we are going through potty training. And I have a dear friend on this front row who told me this week that they were able to do potty training in one weekend. I don't believe you, but I want to believe you because you're my friend. <laughs> you guys, I thought, y'all may think I'm a terrible parent, but I looked at my child one day and I was like, you're trying to kill me, aren't you? And she said, I'm trying to kill you. And I was like, oh, no, okay, I messed up. Like, mommy didn't say that. Okay, like, ah. So, <laughs> any parent in the room is like, yeah, that potty training season, like, is rough, yes, it is so rough. And I, y'all, we joke about it, but I'm like sitting on the ground in the bathroom with my daughter, and I'm like, it's really so much better if you don't boo-boo in your pants, because there's so many consequences to deal with when you make a mess in your pants, versus if you just go to the toilet. And she's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> and y'all know what I mean? Like, but this week, this like miracle happened. Like things started clicking. And she's like, I gotta go potty. And we're like, praise God, you know, so we're all running to the bathroom. And y'all, I have never cheered so hard for somebody going to the potty. I cheered so hard, she told me to stop. So it's a really silly story, but it still holds the same truth. If we would believe what God is speaking to us, we would save ourselves from a lot of mess, right? So much mess. So when we don't believe that we have worth and value and dignity, we will continue living a life of self-seeking pleasure, attempting to gain achievement, acceptance, numbing our personal pain, and ultimately that leads us to destruction. When we believe we have no value, we really struggle to care about anything, including ourselves. So Jesus restores her dignity. 
to give her an opportunity to care about herself. Let's move on to verses 10 and 11. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Jesus offers the adulterous woman new life by telling her to leave her life of sin. And I just want to camp out there just for a second because I, I know that some of us that are like super high in justice may be like, oh, but whatever. I don't know. We may have a tension with like the amount of grace that Jesus had. But the thing is, Jesus was very gracious to speak and say, don't do this anymore. Because your worth, value, and dignity, and honor, and being seen, and being known, you don't have to strive like this. And it's beautiful to see that Jesus said, you know, where are they? Who is left to condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord, which is acknowledging his lordship. And he says, neither do I. And how many of us need to hear that? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. I'm going to tell you two, two little stories from my personal life. Um, I, I have a heavy foot. I like to drive fast. And especially that's wonderful in New Orleans because I've never been pulled over in New Orleans for speeding. But in my small town, home Georgia, uh, there are lots of cops, and they do pull you over for speeding there. So, um, twice in college, I was going like 15 miles over the speed limit, and, um, you know, Georgia State Patrol officers, they don't, they're not nice when you're going that fast on the roads. So, one time I got pulled over, and I was in an area like I really wasn't super familiar with, but I knew I was going over the speed limit, and... I had a very expensive ticket given to me. And I tried to hide it from my parents because I'm in college, I can handle it, I'm working. And like, I don't know, a year later, I got a call from my dad that said, I know what you did. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a lot. Um, could you tell me what I did since you know? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you got a speeding ticket a year ago, and you tried to hide it from me. I was like, okay, that's all, okay. Um, <laughs> how did you find out about that? You know, and he's like, well, the, the insurance man told me because our, your insurance spiked. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. I'm sorry I hid it from you. I thought I could handle it, yada, yada, yada. So not only did I get an expensive, you know, ticket that I had to pay off, then my insurance went up for a long time, all the consequences. Okay. And I had to deal with my dad, like, you know, kind of humiliating me on the phone. So then we fast forward like a year later. I get pulled over again, which is like the worst feeling. Like, you know, you're just driving, mind your business, bopping along and like, whoop, whoop. You know, the lights come on. You're like, oh, geez. This time my mom was with me. And the first thing she said to me is, we're not hiding this from your dad this time. <laughs> okay, mom. So pull over in a church parking lot of all things, right? 
And the police officer comes up, you know, ma'am, do you know how fast you're going? Yeah, I know how fast I was going. <laughs> do you know what the speed limit is? I think so, yeah, I can't lie to you. And y'all, he let me off on a warning this time. Right? That's it. Like, that's how I felt on the inside. Like, praise God from whom I... Like, I could not deal with the insurance going up again, you know? But, and I tell that silly story because one includes, like, I was justifiably punished for my actions. And it quite frankly, sucked. And then in the other instance, I was shown grace and mercy and an opportunity to try again and not speed, right? Which one of those do you think I appreciated more? (laughs) Yes. So, you know, why is it important for us to be offered new life, right? Because without new life, we are left to our own attempts, our own strivings, our own means by which we find fulfillment and purpose and meaning, and those means will always fall short and leave us unsatisfied. How many of us have tried that? Like, you know, we've tried to find satisfaction, and and nothing will lead us there. But this means nothing if you don't recognize your need for new life. We are more like the adulterous women, or woman, excuse me, than we'd care to admit. And what I mean by that is we may not necessarily be in adulterous relationships, but we all have at least one thing that like pulls at our affections. It it, it attempts to fill us and satisfy us And all the while, Jesus is standing there saying, I don't condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. I thought it was really beautiful that we sang the song Freedom as we opened up this morning because that is the picture of what Jesus offers us. And I think when we are willing to own where we've come from, and what we've done, and what we've experienced, then freedom tastes all the more better. Because we know what Christ has set us free from. So let me recap all of this. Jesus was attuned to the adulterous woman because he saw her. Jesus restored her dignity, reminding us that she, just like every single one of us and every single human we know, is due honor and respect, which, how beautiful is that? How beautiful is it that Jesus sees us exactly where we are, no matter if we're in the valley or the mountain, and he still says, you're you're worth value and dignity and honor and being known and being seen and an opportunity at new life. And that's it. Jesus offered her new life and said, go and sin no more. So I have some questions for you. And I really want you to ponder these. And I know, like, you may not have time today to do that. So take them home with you. You know, what are you worth? What do you really believe that you're worth? Do you believe that you're worth being seen and being known? 
Do you believe that you have dignity and value? Do you believe that you've been given new life? And which one of these concepts do you struggle to believe the most and why? Because some of us will struggle to believe that we're valuable and being worth knowing if we don't strive to complete that to-do list. We're not really worth valued or honor if we're not like making the highest sales number. So I want you to consider what truly causes you to doubt God's ability to see you and to know you. What truly leaves you questioning your value and your dignity and what leaves you doubting your opportunity for new life? So earlier I mentioned that our experiences can often shape our ability or our inability to believe what God has spoken about us. And I think many of us may have difficulty answering some of these questions. So like I asked, like, maybe just close your eyes. Like, maybe for some of you, there are immediate things that popped up. But maybe for some of you, you've never really wrestled with these things. And I would, I would encourage you just to maybe dig a little deeper inside, asking, what prevents me from believing the things that God says about me? Do I even know what God says about me? Maybe that's the place to start. I've got a few examples that, as a counselor, I've often seen hijack people's ability to believe these, these truths that God speaks. So it could be shame because of your past life or because of your current life. It could be pride protecting you from needing anything or needing anyone because in your past, if you needed anybody, they didn't come through and you were left stranded. It could be fear of being let down because that's what you've known most of your life. And it could be anger because life doesn't look the way that you wanted it to at this point. I watched this really beautiful thing happen this morning while we were getting ready. So I have a, a daughter who's three, and um, this morning she came out after Josh put her dress on her, and y'all, she was just like lit up. And we, we were just praising her like, Nora, you're so beautiful. We love that dress on you. And she began to spin around and show us her dress. And y'all, in that moment, I just pictured, like, what if we believed the things that God said about us to the point that when God speaks them, we spin and we show off and we're so delighted in the Lord because of what he's done in our life that we're not held back by the things of our past anymore. We're not held back by the things of our current that are trying to hold us down anymore. That we just feel free and we believe him. And y'all, that only comes through relationship. It only comes through relationship. So again, I ask, whatever it is that you feel is holding you back from believing God, 
believing that you're worth being seen and known and having dignity and honor and new chance at life. It's not enough to keep you separated from God. It's not. But I do think it's something that needs to be brought to God and laid down at his feet. And we're going to move into a time of response, and you're going to see a number on the screen. And for those of you that are part of Vintage, this is nothing new. But maybe I want to challenge you. If, if things that have been said today have stirred in you, please let us know. Because you're not meant to walk this alone. We're here doing this together. And some of us have more experience with it than others. And, and, and we can come alongside and support. And I encourage you to be brave enough to share. Brave enough to share what it is that God has maybe highlighted for you or spoken to you or the ways that you're struggling because when we stop living in isolation, that's when things can actually be set up for God to, to work and to move and change us. Amen. So I want to take a moment and I want to pray for all of the women here today. So I'm going to ask all the women to stand, if, if you will. And, and men, this is an opportunity for you to look at the women of our church and just to turn towards them to to pray for them from your from your seat and maybe ask the lord what are ways that i can continually support and love these women and the women in my life and what are ways that i can be an instrument of god to remind them that they are worth being seen being known their value their honor their dignity and they're walking in new life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you as children of yours, honored to be given the title woman, honored to be given the title of daughters, God, I am so thankful that you are perfect and we are not. God, you are consistent. You are ever-present. You never leave. You never forsake. God, and you see at all times, during the day and during the night, you see us when we sleep and when we rise and when we struggle and when we mourn and when we celebrate and everything in between. God, there is nothing that surprises you. Even when we're upset with you, you're still there. And you still stand there with arms open, encouraging us along the way. God, I know that you see every single woman here. And you see every single burden she carries. Would you tell her right now, you don't have to carry that burden anymore. Let me help you. God, you catch every tear. 
you are so close. You see and feel every heartbreak, but you're also there in all the celebrating. And there is no God like you. There is no God who cares that deeply. And for those that when I say that, that they immediately question if God cares, then this, this, and this, would you just show them in such a personal way your intimate care for them? God, we, we are so grateful to know you, to walk with you, to be seen by you, to be heard by you. We are thankful for the dignity and the honor that you give us being made in your image because no other creature outside of humanity has that. And God, we are forever grateful for an opportunity at New Life to be able to walk with you, to be set free from the things that have held us back. And God, I, I, I just speak freedom, freedom over these women, freedom from the pressures that they feel from work, freedom from the pressures they feel in their family, freedom from the pressures of society and culture and TV and books and everything, God, that they would find what real freedom in Jesus Christ looks like and what it feels like and what it is to live that out. Jesus, you are so worthy of all of our affections and all of our praise. And we pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.